Hi, welcome to your space pod. I'm Nisha. And I'm Gamu. And we are your hosts. Hey Gamu, how are you? I'm good, Nisha. How are you? I am good. Um, I think I'm really excited about this episode um, because I feel like this is the first time we've had like an Emmy nominated somebody. <laughs> right, which is pretty amazing. <laughs> which is pretty amazing. And I mean, her story is just um, quite interesting as well because essentially, I mean, I won't spoil it, but she couldn't finish university and to then become an, a multi-award winning journalist. I mean, even when you hear her story, she didn't plan to go into radios, which is where she started. But um, yeah, I think that journey across there is just quite interesting. And I think when we spoke to um, other guests just about how this essentially wasn't something that they planned. And I, I think maybe one thing that I would ask them is like, if you hadn't planned it, if, if if it never happened, what would you have pursued? Because essentially I feel like everybody that's gone into it then gets, does it and then loves it. Mm-hmm. So it'd be quite interesting. Well, we know what Danny would have done. Danny was in IT. And then I think um, Ian and, and Kiki might have been slightly different because of their journey. But yeah. Well, yes. And well, Danny might have been in IT, but would he have had as much fulfillment I think that's one of the things that we, we we discussed in the first one that it requires a lot of passion. It's not something you just do. Yeah. So I think it's the it's the is the fulfillment element must be really strong. I mean, we must possibly consider it. Yeah, and then the next the the guest that we're speaking to this week. I mean, her tenacity and her um experience speaks volumes because obviously she's what she does is she doesn't let anything stop her she can achieve anything that she wants to do and I think that level of confidence in knowing that I mean she she did a course on something that she didn't think that she was going to go into but she just wanted to to try it out and see what it'd be like and then essentially that then helped her along her way so I think I think it's quite interesting just to hear um her journey and I hope you guys enjoy it as much as we did um again if you have any questions or if you want to reach out to us uh please write to us at info at yourspaceafrica.com or follow us on all social media platforms your space africa and reach out Hello listeners, today we have Kiki Mordi, who is an Emmy-nominated investigative journalist, a One Young World amb- ambassador, changemaker and co-founder at Document Women. Hi Kiki. Hi. How are you today? Oh, I'm very well. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. Um, it's always such a delight to talk about these things, my career path yeah and you've had you've had an interesting career I mean Emmy nominated that must be such an achievement so can you tell us a little bit about how you got there what was the journey like because from what we from what I've understood essentially is that you were unable to graduate from university um but then you've become a multi-award winning journalist so tell us about that journey well um I mean growing up I actually did want to be a doctor or a scientist or you know something like that you know the career path 
Yeah. Really? After your, um, my Nigerian <laughs> parents definitely saw me in that respectable career path, in quotes, respectable in quotes. Um, and I actually did, you know, I, I, I enjoyed sciences. But then at university, there was something, there is, you know, a, a phenomenon that's very obvious across many African universities. And it's, you know, sex for grades, where lecturers just demand for sex in exchange for good grades from their female students. And it happened to me too, as well as just millions of other women. And mine, you know, was so bad that at some point I had to drop out and just like figure my life out because um, the person that was harassing me was in charge of so many things. And it just looked like I wouldn't graduate anyway. And so I just stopped wasting my time and I just, you know, dropped out. Um, and it was a hectic time for me. I had no idea what I would do, you know, with my life at that point. Um, uh, it was crazy. My mom, you know, was a widow and she was doing so much to like take all her kids to the university. And it was just, just so much burden at the time. And then, you know, I discovered radio by accident. Um, that was my first, um, that was my, my first step into journalism. It was radio. I was, I escorted my friend, you know, to go for an audition. And then the lady that was um, auditioning said she, you know, there was something, she said, there's something about your voice. And I was like, you know what? I, I mean, I had nothing to lose. I wasn't scared of her. I wasn't scared of getting a no because I didn't even plan to get a yes. So, yeah, you went, you, went, you went there for you. Yeah. <laughs> so I just, I tried out and then I got a call back and I was like, you know, maybe this might be my new thing because I'm quite jobless at the moment. <laughs> I might as well. That was an outlet for me. And yeah, that was it. That was how many? That was eight eight years ago, I think. Um, oh, wow. And then I really got into it. And radio just lets you meet people. It gives you a voice. And the one of the mm. first things that I used the platform for to discuss was sexual harassment. I remember the show very clearly. I talked about it like I was talking about an anonymous story. And it sort of emboldened yeah. people to call in and, you know, talk about their lecturers and just lament about how hard it was to try to graduate with the grades that are not theirs. Some had to graduate with lower grades. And I just thought, well, you even get to graduate this person didn't get to graduate and that wow. this person was me yeah you know so yeah mm-hmm. um when the opportunity came you know at some point I'd grown through my career I'd done radio I had tried my hands at so many things social media you know I had really gone fully into advocacy there was a network of Nigerian women who you know would come through for themselves when when yeah. the need when you know when there was a need for it and so um, the BBC Africa I at the time they released an investigative documentary I think on um, um, abuse drug abuse and then the feedback that they got was Uh. that there is something that is that needs investigating like yesterday and it was sex for grades or sexual harassment in university and so they had been Mm. trying their best to find out like who like they needed a breakthrough and you know I was contacted at the time because I've been doing you know a lot of amazing work at the time it was crazy how I had grown from this person with no degree to having a voice in so many places and speaking at all these events and I met um 
you know, one of one staff at uh, BBC Africa Eye, and we talked about it. I was down immediately. I didn't even blink twice because this this is the moment like all my life I had been waiting for a way to make a difference, like an impact in something that affected me um, so bad that it cost me something. If I could, you know, help like another, mm. even if it was just one more woman like me, I was just okay with that. And so we began the process, mm. the very long process of investigating the skill. First of all, we had to determine how bad the problem was. And I personally wow. knew that it was bad, but I wasn't ready for the numbers that you know were in my face that you get I mean, in the process yeah. of investigating mm. i found out that my own elder sister was a victim of sexual harassment at university my own mother oh, wow. was a victim of sexual harassment at university it was it hit so oh, close wow. to home like I, we couldn't yeah. believe like all the stories that we, could, we were hearing at the time mm. so um yeah um after nine, a nine-month-long investigation with thousands of pages of, of evidence and, you know, recordings and everything, we finally produced the investigative film. It's called Sex for Grades, published mm. on a BBC Africa Eyes YouTube. Um, I don't know what the current mm. stats are, but the last time I checked, it had about five million views, I think. I yeah, I think when I checked, it was a bit it's more. It's possible that. that it's a bit more. But a lot of people immediately connected with it. And I think the strategy for us that worked was that for the very first time, we were not putting the victim on blast. There was no, um, we, I mean, the vict- victims were masked and not from a place of shame, but from like a place of empowerment. And then we focused every bit of media attention and the camera was focused on the perpetrator. And it was, you know, refreshing for, for once to see that right now we're talking about the person, the things that matter, which is the perpetrator of sexual harassment. And it was so uncomfortable to watch, no matter who you are, you will not in good faith watch that clip and, and be okay with your daughter being in a room with that person, you know, regardless of how far he went or how far he didn't go, you will not you know, in good faith, allow your 17-year-old daughter to be in the room with this lecturer who obviously, you know, has just, who obviously wants sex from her in exchange for granting her admission into university, so. And taking advantage of his his position in the university as well. And he reiterated his position as an associate professor. He tried to make himself bigger than he actually was just to exert that authority over this young um, person. Um, Yeah, so that was like one of the many things that we're hoping to achieve. Like it's a culture and it's a spectrum what sex for grades is. There's Mm. so many things that happen in between. There's grooming. Of course, there is is rape at the very end of the spectrum. But from the beginning, there's grooming. There is, you know, this is verbal harassment. There is even harass with your eyes. I think we were able to establish that body language. You can use your body language to make a person feel uncomfortable in your office just so that you can go ahead and do everything you want with that person. So it was really multi-layered. And I'm really glad that I was in my generation able to be a part of that movement or that change. 
Mm. And and that's amazing because obviously you've taken something that's basically stopped you in your tracks for your uh, on your career journey and kind of made you reshuffle and rethink and turn that into basically a, an award-winning story um and also to free and to help other women who've essentially gone through this and be able to say like look my story is is real and this is what I've been through um which is I mean it's unbelievable and I think those stories are so important and it's just um like that shift so I want to go back to when you realized that you weren't going to be able to graduate what was your thought process at that time what were you feeling um did you have an idea of how you maybe try a different university or was it just like oh I need to stay away from that space at the moment I I mean it's it's very difficult to remember like specifics because that's something that I blocked out for a very long time. In fact, the very first time I addressed it was when we were investigating this. Um, but the thing that I remember clearly was just, just the feeling of defeat. Is I just always somehow felt that because I have like this defender parents, like my mom is my defender and my dad will come to my rescue anytime. I just some I knew that you know um, injustice existed, but I just somehow felt that someone would come through for me. My mom would be there for me at the end of the day, and I called my mom, and she told me there was nothing she could do about it besides pray. And she said she would pray. I should give her my lecturer's name, and she was going to put him in prayers. And she was very far away from me for context. She moved to the U.S., you know, to try to get a better life for all of us. And what could she do, really? She was just, she was, she just said the best she could do for me was to offer me the house. She was like, come back home, you know. I'm not going to be angry with you or feel sad that I've wasted money. Don't think about the money. Come back home. And for the first time, I felt absolute defeat, like absolute. It was really sad. So I wasn't even thinking of where to start from again. I was finding it difficult to accept <laughs> the current situation. Just that, yeah, because essentially you didn't have, yeah, there wasn't anywhere to go. And then I guess if your mom had also gone through it, I think. Yeah. Because maybe she didn't do anything about it. She didn't know what to do. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel, you know, she she told me though that if she was around, maybe she would have come to the school to fight, but she really might not have because, it's, it wouldn't achieve anything. When she was harassed, she was even mm. a married woman. And, you know, yeah. she had to adapt her way through that situation. You know, she, she, she's, a, she's, a, she's a fighter. She's a loudmouthed person. But she had to be strategic <laughs> about that even with her loudmouth. So, yeah. it, you know, when you see a strong woman like that, who is your shield all the time, telling you that sometimes people are more powerful than her it just it does something to you wow. it just it switches something yeah I can only I can only imagine you. yeah yeah so yeah I could definitely only imagine that um that feeling like you said defeat and mm-hmm. um and you kind of just not know where to go from there so obviously you then went and you were supporting a friend and you went with her to the radio yeah. station what um what role did you take in the radio station? Was it just um, as a presenter or did they want to bring you in for well, something it was else? A, as a student presenter, I wasn't even a student, but that's what they called it so that they wouldn't pay us. 
Oh, well. <laughs> Any excuse? But I loved it. I, I enjoyed it. In fact, it didn't take too long for me to start making money from that because, you know, brands started to hear my voice and they wanted my voice on their campaigns. So while I wasn't getting mm. paid a salary, like in just a couple of months, uh, it, I started making money from voiceovers. And that really annoyed a lot of the senior presenters there because it took too long for them to actually, like it's just some rite of passage, which like is so unfair. And I don't know why they felt okay upholding it. Like you go through this oppression just so that you don't let the next person go through it, right? But they were interested and they were interested in yeah. upholding that. But you can't just come here and have your own live show and start making money from <laughs> but like i mean the brands were specific about what they wanted they wanted you know my voice on the campaign and i was, was cheap so i mean why not <laughs> i would take <laughs> i would take anything that they offered i mean so it was a win-win for everybody so yeah that, that that's yeah exactly <laughs> i mean this period i was preparing to go back home i lived in a different city from where i schooled and I was packing my things and when my rent expired. But like it, it was becoming harder for me to go back home. There was something that I was looking forward to here. And there's nothing back home. And so, you know, my, you know, my mom says, oh, pack your things and go home. Don't worry, we'll try again. And I told her, you know what? I will just wait this one out. Let me see where this radio thing would lead me to. So that's, that's how it was. So as a, as a presenter, before... Um, so these these guys were in pain, obviously. A new radio station came into town and they were looking for like the best of the best to get to the new radio station. And they reached out to me and they just assumed I was getting paid at this place. And so they <laughs> offered me some salary that I would never have even earned in this other place. And I had to just comfort <laughs> myself. In fact, when I went for the interview, I saw other like people. I saw one woman driving. I didn't, I couldn't even afford like a bicycle at the time. So I was like, oh, they obviously wouldn't pay well, me because this is not for my level. So I wasn't expecting mm. to be called back. But then I was, I was called back. And my mom started to get excited about this thing. She was like, oh, okay. It seems this radio thing is actually going to pay off. Maybe you should actually stay back. Yeah. <laughs> so she started to support me. At first, she just thought that this one is just a hobby. Like, please hurry up and come back. Yeah, she's just taking exactly. for fun. But like, mm-hmm. I mean, I could now pay my next rent because she used to pay my rent. I could pay the next rent. She was like, okay, this wow. is good. <laughs> so that was it. That was it. And it was just purely passion that just drove me. I was excited. I don't know. I would Should I say passion or excitement? I think it was a little bit of both. A bit, yeah. a bit of both. Yeah. Just, and that was it. In this new place, I almost had like an issue because of... Um, my certificates yes um there was an issue because I, I lied to them that I was still in school but the truth is was I was done <laughs> so I and in truth I was supposed to still be in school but like I wasn't going anymore out because when you go it's all all you face is a harassment so what's the point of going so you know the thing the only thing that came to my defense was the good work I had done over the past year and they mm. were not okay with just letting me go because of this one thing. So they had to like just accommodate a little bit. I mean, they also wanted to cut my salary because they offered me that thinking that I was some professional big woman. <laughs> but I was like, what? I'm doing the work you wanted me to do. So what's the point? Like just, what's you know. the, Yeah. What, what's a certificate right? going to do? And I think, and I, 
And I think that's a misconception. And I don't know whether it's still the case um, in Nigeria, but it's very much the case yeah. in Zimbabwe. And that if you if you haven't been to university, it's like your credibility isn't as high as it would yeah. be if you um, if you went to university. Whereas in England, that's slightly different. Like you can essentially work mm-hmm. your way up. Do you find yeah. it still the case yeah, in Nigeria? Yeah, it's still the case in many industries. But I think industries like the tech industry, because what would you even study, really, if you want to be a software engineer in Nigeria? The universities are not even that equipped. So I think they quite understand that a lot of people are self-trained. There is, I don't know how many universities will teach you how to code in Nigeria. Maybe the private ones are now catching up. But the tech industry yeah. has managed to create that that ecosystem for themselves where they understand that i mean m- many tech founders that have raised millions in dollars in nigeria are university dropouts so i mean a university dropout being a ceo or a cto would understand when they're hiring that they're looking out for talent so that's one industry that has tried the remaining oh well hopefully and <laughs> yeah i guess it i guess it depends yeah it depends yeah. on the industry as well so and then, so I, so we did speak to another um, radio presenter who's also a programming manager and also, funnily enough, a voiceover oh, artist. So what what is what is the voiceover work like for you? Are, are you still doing it? Or? Yeah, I'm still doing it, but I'm now very expensive. <laughs> <laughs> it's no longer a win-win situation. So it's not coming as often as you put. I'm, I mean, I'm even glad for that. I just, I, I'm focusing on too many things. Sometimes it's difficult for me to just sit in one place and just do voiceover like so yeah that that that's happening right now only because of the dynamics of things but if not I that's the one thing yeah. about my entire job that I actually enjoy just finding out what my voice can do you know I just I had the, yeah. this I've always had this voice but I did not know what it could do you know props to the very first person that hired me that showed me what my voice could do like she yeah. make me record something and play it back to me um, that's me what <laughs> so I, I just I quite like really love... yeah no I, I do that's the that's the most yeah. vain part of my job I love it so much like I'm tripping for my own voice <laughs> yeah <laughs> so now you're expensive well because you're uh, Emmy nominated <laughs> investigative journey so they have to pay right. yeah also because my time is very scarce right now not not quite you know, because of the Emmy, because it's difficult to get me to sit down. And so you would have to entice me with money. So <laughs> that's <laughs> <laughs> so I'm we're very grateful to have your time no today. So. <laughs> no problem whatsoever. <laughs> Sitting with greatness. Yeah. <laughs> so then so then did they so then did they you were you were explaining how because of your certificate yeah. or the lack thereof, um did they did they reduce your salary or did you manage to fight through that and essentially get what you were offered yeah, initially? I, 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 I managed to fight through it, but I do think that I paid for it with the slowness with which I was promoted to yeah. Oh, wow. So I was promoted real quick, but just not it wasn't solidified. So I was acting head of programs for a long time instead of just being the head of programs, which is the job I was doing anyway. Um, so I think that may mm. have affected. It's difficult to tell because um, I, I, I don't know what would have happened if, they, if I indeed had the certificate. I can't quite tell. But I still personally believe that mm. if there was nothing wrong, I definitely would have you know, gotten the... I was doing the work anyway. I was doing the work of 
when the head of yeah. programs was no longer available, I was there, I filled in the role, you know, I, that was my first shot at leadership. And I mean, while I did not get the official title and the salary increase, I had that experience. Mm. So I was grateful for that because it helped me in my next role. And I, 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 you know, while I was there, I, and while I was in, and they told me that, oh, you remind me so much of this lady we met in Lagos, you know, and they kept describing this lady. And I went to, you know, Google her. She's the CEO of a radio station called Women Radio. I was like, wait, this is home for me. Like, this is what I'm trying mm. to do for my current place. And she's doing it like 24 hours. Okay, maybe I should go there. So I sent a, a, I sent a demo and she was quite impressed with the demo. And even at some point she was asking, am I sure that I want to leave where I am? Because it, look like, it looks like I have everything going on good. Like she doesn't know that she can offer me something better. And I was like, you know, working here is already better, you know? And so she was just happy. Mm. It's nice as a business owner, because I'm, I'm a business owner right now. And I imagine the joy finding someone that shares your vision without you trying to force the vision into their head. And they would probably do it for mm. free or for a pay cut. As a matter of fact, I did it for a pay cut. Um, I was willing to take a pay cut and just go there and thrive. Mm. It was a different city. I also thought that the city might do me well. I just like took a calculated risk. I took a pay cut and I went there and I felt more at home. There was no question of my credibility based on what um, certificate that I had or I didn't have. I was instantly yeah. offered the head of, head of presenting. I rejected it the first time because I was not sure. I don't know something. I don't know. Why? It <laughs> What's it called? Um, <laughs> when you just doubt yourself. <laughs> oh, imposter syndrome. Imposter syndrome. Thank you. I had that for a while. <laughs> and she, my boss was just shocked. Like, what do you mean? Like, you're the best hand I have. She said that to me. <laughs> and maybe that sort of boosted my confidence because I accepted the role later on. And then I just, I thrived there. I just, I was just happy to be there. And I grew there. I grew in such a short time. I grew from just a normal radio presenter to a person, a journalist, a respected journalist who started to speak to other journalists. Like all of a sudden, you know, people from UN Women would say, would oh, they want to hear mm. from me because they think that I'm experienced enough or knowledgeable enough to speak to you know, their people. And I was like, what? Because that the platform just allowed me to be myself, to grow, to thrive, to, you know, continue practicing the leadership that I had already experienced. And the truth is I knew so many things and you can't work that long on radio. On radio, your job requires you to research every single day. You can't work that long without knowing yeah. things. I just thought that the things I knew were bare minimum, but just they weren't, you know, <laughs> I was quite the intelligent person. <laughs> I just was not sure of myself. So um, yeah, that platform helped me to open myself up to, you know, sharing the knowledge that I had and not, you know, thinking the lowest of myself. So when, when you were explaining um, that um, transition over uh, mm -hmm. with that woman, I didn't catch the platform because the oh, internet okay. dropped off for a little bit. So what platform was Women that? Women Radio. Yes. Oh, okay. So it must have been, it must have been slightly um, quite encouraging for you to work with women mm -hmm. um, because having, being stopped 
in your um, yeah. education because mm-hmm. of a man and what a man did. And then being amongst women and essentially, like you said, the UN women as yeah. well and encouraging you and pushing mm-hmm. you to go after what, what you um, um, desired. So do you feel like that's played a role in what you're doing now and, and the things that you're, and how it is that? It has played a role. I mean, I, the reason I moved there in the first place was because I already had the inclination. So the origin story isn't from Women Radio, it's from way back. Um, when mm. I was at a, you know, a radio station where I personally, like till now, I, I was surprised to find out that the shows that I carved out at the former radio station is still ongoing. You know, I did a she tribe, if I remember it correctly, or she hive or something like that. Okay. <laughs> where you know, it was a Wednesday yeah. program and I tried to do one for students on Saturday um, the varsity hangout I named it I came up with the concept everything you know um, so wow. that was just like niche right we just had like one or two days but then women radio was every day so I was happy to make that transition but the, so the inclination came from way back but the I think the the platform and the confidence and the liberty definitely came from women radio and that that in fact it was from that visibility that I got from there that I was even able to interact with you know people from you know respectable uh, media houses like the BBC um so I'm definitely grateful for that um platform jump and it was in fact while I was doing my work at women radio that I met with the the journalist from BBC that introduced me to one of the biggest projects of my life. And so tell us about um, Document Women. What is that about and what is your your aim um, for that? So D- Document Women just it has a really long and checkered history. I, I first attended a conference that, you know, um, was just talking about women in leadership. I mean, the the, the the rhythm the thing that the things that we've been chanting the rhyme was oh there are not enough women in leadership and you know I held that so dearly and then you know they asked us to name I know there are not a lot of women in leadership but there are some women can you name them and it was like what <laughs> we can't name them they're invisible so it's 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 like you know, then I first started understanding what erasure was and I was so obsessed with the concept of erasure I like you know, try to do a lot of research. I tried to put like one plus one together. Erasure like exists in so many spaces, in race, in fact. I was quite interested um, in erasure in race, um, where mm. um, colonialists came, would, you know, they came to different African countries. In fact, not just African countries, they'll travel around and adopt, like rep- replicate their own culture in this new place that they have colonized mm. and just erase the language, erase the culture, erase the arts and replace it with theirs. And, you know, it's crazy because wow. nowadays, even when you see people arguing, even on Twitter, like some white people would argue that, well, colonization was important because um, the Africans or the Nigerians or the people there living there were savages and um, the the British had to come with their, um, <laughs> they had to come with their uh, 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 um, invention, yes, make it better. civilization yeah. to make it better. And that's simply not true. Like 
it's true that there's some practices existed that were that people now call savage practices, but they also existed in England by the in in the former British, by the way, and there was mm. civilization, just not the kind of civilization that the British people were used to. I mean, there were roads in in the Benin Kingdom. There was lights and there was a money system there was a banking system there was a system of leadership all of these systems yeah. were in place just they were just different and so just that erasure was important yeah. because we cannot say for sure what system was in place we don't know it anymore it's been erased completely from history bit, right yeah and they found they found these arts valuable enough to steal the ones they couldn't steal they destroyed so it's like the erasure is an important part of oppression and i just noticed the same thing with women and so i decided to focus more on women because it was not there was no definition for it whatsoever it's just that oh we keep fighting for more women in leadership but the ones that are already in leadership we just we just lump them as oh a woman in leadership and we don't know her name we don't know her story we don't know her journey and i just wanted to just play my part in documenting that so it started as a movement a hashtag please like tell women stories in your small community the woman don't the, the woman doesn't have to you know be exceptionally great she can just do you know the the same things bare minimum male leaders do and you should document her and then in just last sorry this year i decided you know what maybe it should be you know a media company since i have the resources and the platform to do that i definitely should um it should just be like any other media company just this one is focused and dedicated on documenting women that's it so we launched this year march on women congratulations but I love the traction that outside that like document movement still to me is more than the company. I think it's still a movement. And I think that there is more people adopting that like um, strategy to whatever it is that they're doing, like photography, documentary filmmaking, like they're conscious about documenting women as opposed to just, you know, telling stories. You know, it's interesting that you raised yeah. the issue around, you know, the erasure of women. Because um, as Angela Merkel leaves her post, I was just listening to a Trevor Noah um, um, show. And one of the things that he mentioned is that yeah. we don't know much about her, really. I mean, she's one of the, I'm not sure if that's on purpose or if it is part of that culture of we just kind of, it's just enough to be a woman in leadership. Nobody really wants to know more. It's almost like we're just more exercising a, a kind of a, a tick box exercise uh-huh. we're not going in depth so the your, your your company is definitely opening something that needs to be discussed um what wh- what do you see for it in the next five years do you still see yourself as being part of it or it should be a, a media house that is you know grown from you and a completely separate entity Oh, definitely grown from me. Like, I don't want to be the CEO, in fact, um, by in two years' time. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so many parts of Document Women, like before the, before the year ended, or the year is still going, sorry. But like before the end of the year, <laughs> like going through all the things that were done, I was now thinking, what remember like remember the beginning? What did you want to achieve? Because it seems it seemed to like take a life of its own right now. And it's going with the template of obviously what media houses are. 
and it seems to have this is not exactly the way I saw it going but it's a good way to I still want to go back to the beginning and so I know that I want to there's so many things that without giving out <laughs> company secrets <laughs> but there's so many things that I'm interested in number one is research because yes we're documenting women of the present because the women of the present will become women of the past in the future mm. we are also trying to go back and investigate the women of the past that was erased and so I'm I'm normally I'm always committed to research right from when I was a kid I, I loved research I was so sure that when I became rich I would dedicate 50% of my wealth to funding research um, I want us to have a parallel of document women that is solely dedicated to funding you know research or finding research you know documenting just unearthing the women of the past and it's like oh it's gone why is it so important it's very important because there's like a roadmap to where we're going all of the things that we think that are unique with our experiences I don't think that they are we're not like what is it about our DNA that's different from the DNA of the women that live before us if we have the sudden urge to work and contribute to society they definitely had that urge if we have the urge to mm. eat, I'm sure that they had that urge so I want to know about them so I know that research is going to be like a completely um, something that I might be in charge of. And I'll just allow document women to be headed by, you know, all the amazing people that have grown and are, that are currently with me now. And I'm hoping that in two years, they are grown enough to be able to become at least CEO, like what Jack did. You know, Jack is no longer the CEO of Twitter. And that's, that's probably what the future would look like. And there is more, you know, there is there is you know there's pop culture there's so anywhere like media is I just want us to like like pitch a tent there and just have our own one role which is to document the women there there's tech I'm quite excited about tech because I have too many friends in tech and they're male friends I have some female friends in tech but like they're predominantly male I want you know at least a tech magazine that is dedicated that is dedicated to dedicated to documenting women in tech. Because again, why research is so important is that the origin of tech, uh, technology, or is filled with a lot of women that have been erased. A lot yes, of yes. women, like mm -hmm. a surprisingly huge number of women, in fact, that are just hidden figures right now. We don't know their names. We just know them as computers, for example. Um, so that's, yeah. that, that one I'm hoping, that one should happen next year. So yeah, I want document women to grow outside of me. I just want it to exist. I don't have to be the one in charge. I may not be the biggest. Um, I may not be like my strong points might not be C being a CEO or being a person that comes up with these ideas mm. is my strong point. And I want to be able to continue doing that. So definitely. Oh, wow. Okay. So that's going to be interesting to, to watch it grow. And it's, it's definitely, mm -hmm. I think, something that's going to live even be beyond us um like yeah. you like you stated so um knowing with all the experience that you have now what do you wish you knew then when you were starting out oh well if you if you if you go to the kiki that was with her friend yeah. in the radio station <laughs> and just start, what would you tell her like that you wish that you know now that she you wish she knew um starting out i <laughs> let me see let me think 
<laughs> because the Kiki that left uni and the Kiki that was now in radio is like I feel like it's two different. Yeah, like you 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 grew so I, quickly. I grew yeah, so quickly. But I feel like that. I would say the the growth happened at a very short time. So I I can't quite say that there is any new information besides um the information of um. Um, me like besides the confirmation of all the things that I thought it's like all the things that I figured I, that I was unsure of in fact maybe I should just go back to tell myself that you know what you're right about all the things <laughs> just don't doubt yourself you, you you're onto something yeah um then I knew the importance of making friends um on a horizontal level because what they always told us about radio then was networking I knew the, I, I just figured I tried to network upwards it was laced with sexual harassment too like sexual harassment did not end in mm. university by the way in fact it hasn't mm. ended so I tried to <laughs> I tried to make friends with like senior radio presenters and then someone wants to sleep with me I'm like what is it does this, doesn't this thing end you know and when I started to see friends of mine growing, I understood the importance of networking sideways because these people will not remain at that level forever. Like now I'm reaping the benefits. No. Like my friends from six years ago are all grown. I mean, not all, but at least, and they are my close and tight friends. It's like the bond is stronger mm. than a person who's just trying to obviously network their way up. You just met. Exactly. Yeah. So I would say, like, if I could tell that young person, I would say just don't don't underestimate the importance of forming lifelong bonds on your way mm. to the top. Like where you are right now, your best friends are still on your level. But you know, of course, aim to the top, but don't don't forget about the people that are struggling the struggle with you, that are, you know, fighting this fight with you. <laughs> your allies are are right in front of you. Try to find them. And to my younger self, I would say, honestly, just limit the attention that you give to um, people who are not there for your best interest. Because I really tried as much as possible to accommodate almost everything because, you know, you're trying to be a good girl or a good woman or a virtuous woman or whatnot. You don't need that, you know, save your space for the people who mean you well and don't accept like, mm. you know, friends that... And, just essentially not your friends who would just like slow you down um yeah I think that's what I would say to my younger self even though that I really believe in that my younger self she knew a lot of these things <laughs> <laughs> she just she just needed a bit of confidence yeah and, she just needed a bit yeah. of confidence um, you mentioned, I think it would be useful um, advice or explanation for a young person. How do you identify people that don't mean you well? Um, because this is, I think, a journey that everybody actually goes on. But sometimes it's a bit harder for, for, for some than others to identify somebody that doesn't have your best interests. What that's, did you see then? That's very true. Okay, so there is one thing that I don't do now that I used to do then. I used to debate my existence with people. When people say, well, yeah. women should do this or women should, and I'll be passionately and innocently <laughs> and truthfully trying to explain. No, because think about it. What's the difference between a man and a woman? You know, I would do this and explain and explain and explain to a person who is committed to not listening to me. 
a person who already has their heart settled yeah. being a misogynist i'll try to explain why they shouldn't be a misogynist <laughs> an adult that obviously knows <laughs> it's already ingrained in them yeah they know that oppression is bad so i i, I in yeah. truth i try not to advise young people to sh- shy away from that i think that they, they should come to their that realization on their own because in truth these conversations are important me i'm just a tired old woman and i will not be having it anymore <laughs> Maybe young people should <laughs> keep having it until they. But I just need them to bear in mind that these people that you're talking to are adults, and in fact, most of them face oppression of their own. I mean, if you're talking to a black person, they likely know understand racism and they know what racism is, and they obviously are yeah. not in support of racism in any way, but they're in support of the oppression that stops at your own doorstep. You need to bear that in mind when you're deciding how much energy that you put into, you know, debate, debating with them. Debates are very fine. Just make sure that you're doing more than debate. You're saving some energy for actual, you know, for actually existing and trying mm. to make your own life better and trying to see what you can to fight your oppression. So that's the advice that I would have for like young people. Um, so that's one way to look out for it to know that this person doesn't mean you well. They may say they like you as an individual, but then they don't like one identity that you identify with. Like they don't like lesbians, but they like you, a lesbian. Something, I mean, one day <laughs> when you are- It's, a, it's <laughs> one of those, I have, I have, I have, I, I don't mind black people. My best friend's black. You see? It's <laughs> a similar narrative. If that doesn't make sense with race, it shouldn't make sense with you. So if just understand that the day that your individualness is no longer favorable, you become like every other lesbian that they oppress. And you just need to know that and know peace. And that's just, that's what I'll tell my youngest, like a young person out there. Okay. Um, we mentioned that harassment exists everywhere. So... Uh-huh. And it doesn't stop, actually. Um, I think it's probably just the definition of harassment that that everybody needs to be clear on because uh-huh. I think we've normalized a lot of it. We have. What would be your advice to somebody experiencing harassment at university or at the workplace? How do they manage that? Oh, that's such a hard thing. <laughs> that's such a hard advice to give because many times that I've given advice that it's it's almost like I'm challenging the harasser because they would be like oh there is a countermeasure to that you know so um you need to remember what I'll tell anyone that is getting harassed that there is nothing that you're doing that is attracting this harassment there is nothing mm-hmm. really um because people have stiff boundaries some people have you know lax boundaries no matter like what you do, these things, harassment will still come your way, unfortunately. Um, the only thing that you can do is to be deliberate about protecting yourself when it comes to reporting is a hard thing to do. And I don't like to put that burden on people, but unfortunately you might just have to take that big step and find the motivation to report. My own motivation, you know, was like the fear of it being done to my younger sister. For example, for reporting, I'm just like scared. A, a friend of mine who shared the same thing. She was harassed by the same person for a very, very long time. 
sometimes the motivation is protecting other people and if 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 that's your motivation that's fine but i think that as a sense of duty to society unfortunately this hard thing called reporting that society has not made easy needs to be done there just needs to be documented evidence because people do not harass in silos it would happen again and there just needs to be that record that someone reported before and another person is reporting this same person i mean so that you know in the future if there is any hopes for you know ju justice your reports you know might be able to help out yeah but but for people who do who who insist on make on blurring the lines between harassment and cajoling or whatever the advice that I always give them is is your proposition wanted or unwanted especially when it's a level playing field when there is no um position of authority if it's unwanted and you insist on continuing then it's harassment regardless of the context even though it's not sex even though it's food if i tell you i'm not hungry and you continue to force me to eat you're harassing me so you you, you, ha you can understand it in every other context but when it comes to women and sex you are suddenly the lines are blurred they're not that blurred just once is unwanted please take a step back and I say the same thing to women as well. You know, you don't take advantage of the fact that people, yeah, maybe this man sees you as harmless to continue to perpetrate the thing that will one day affect you. You don't, you know, once a situation, once you hear no, no is a complete sentence. Just take that as surface value. Okay. Like you said, easier said than done, but I think it's, it, it is important to keep reinforcing that message that say something, speak out. If not for yourself, for others. Um, yeah, so I think that's that's really good advice. And for any young person that would like to go into journalism, especially young women, uh -huh. um, what advice would you have for them? Um, journalism is, a, is an exciting profession. And I think that we need more women journalists at every, like, every level in journalism. So you definitely um, do not be discouraged by how many reports of uh, violence against female journalists are, because there are a lot of um, incidents and now the, the violence has even gone digital and there is more bullying of female journalists than there is of male journalists. And yet these are things that are problems, but these are things that we can solve together you know, by having more women in. So we definitely need more women in this space. Um, you have to be aware of the issues that exist, not as a deterrent and not as a way to scare you away, away from this career path, but as a way, as a, as a challenge really, as a way for you to come in and see the, and be aware of the things that other women face and see what you can use your platform to do. Journalism empowers people and I want that empowerment for more women. Um, so yes, uh, Think, think of all the good that can, come, that, you, that can come about from your work in journalism and, you know, let that be like a motivation for you or driving force um, for you when you get into journalism. Do not take less for, do not take less. Um, when you see that this is what is being offered men, do not accept less, essentially. <laughs> Strive for whatever it is that's whatever, even if it's respect, salary, 
whatever it is that according to the men in your field, you deserve as much as a woman in journalism. The issue of asking for the same, it's, it's difficult. At what point do you start asking for the same if you find out later that, for instance, your colleague at the same level is earning more than you or has a better package or is being offered certain protections by the organization that are not being offered to you? Do you still just speak out or is it now too late because you're quite far down the road? Oh, no, you have to speak out regardless. And speaking out is hard because sometimes the result of speaking out means that you get dropped. Um, mm. And that's the reality. But I, I don't think that it's ever too late to speak out, honestly. Um, you should at every point, because it, it would cause resentment. At so many times, I've just had, I've learned some things about the organization that I work with and I just like I'm just disgusted by it and I'm just resenting like every member of that place (laughs) and I'm just and it it starts to affect my work I, I I don't give other people the same advice but I'm also not afraid of you know leaving actually I'm not afraid to leave because I know that I, I, at the beginning of my career was filled with me trying to prove myself times 10 because I don't have this um, certificate that validates my, my, my being here. And so once I was able to get past that, I just knew that I, I, I create value really. That's really why you want me here. Not because you're doing me a favor or you want to feed my family or anything. The truth is I create value. And if I don't do it here, I'll do it elsewhere. And so I was not afraid, like you wouldn't threaten me with me leaving. That's just you losing like all the value that I'm bringing to your company. And I would go find another company to, to create value for or start my own. <laughs> and starting is not easy. Not everyone has that um, um, privilege. So definitely, I just know that another company would be able to hire me. Again, it's, it's, it's kind of privilege talking and it's not even just financial privilege privilege because I wasn't even a rich person I did not have money it was just the privilege of being able to cross that confidence level because a few few months earlier I definitely would not have been, a, been able to sound like that I was at the mercy of anybody that had given me a platform or a salary so yeah um that's personally for me I'm not afraid of leaving if this place doesn't serve me anymore if this place doesn't see my humanity or my value yeah, and I think that speaks to um, your view on there's always someone that will see that value mm-hmm. and I don't need to fight my case for, like you said, about making friends with people that you're constantly having to prove yourself exactly. to. Um, and it's just this abundance of, well, there's there's always other opportunities. Like you're not my last and you, and you weren't my first. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And this crossover to confidence um what how did it happen do you just wake up one day and sort of look in the mirror and say no actually this person is important (laughs) or is there (laughs) something that you feel there was an aha moment how did you cross over was it something that just came with age maybe it is possible well okay so I, I I can't tell you the aha moments for a fact, I'm not going to lie to you, 
but I think that it, I, I contributed to like trying to grow my own confidence. Uh, sometimes I would attend these lectures where women will speak about so many things. And one of the things they'll speak about was confidence. And, you know, I tried to harness that because I really wanted that for myself. Many women that I looked up to were confident women. My mom is a confident woman. So, you know, it's just, it tracks that I should be confident, right? But I just really wasn't for a very long time. And so when I first that I when I first started like feeling confident about different things, I remember the one thing that I was confident about when I was growing up. The, the one thing was that I was confident that I did not have to prove to anybody that I was intelligent. Um, because I had good grades automatically, I, 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 all I had to do was, you know, attend classes and, you know, I would have good grades. And my parents sort of enforced that with me. Even when I had like slightly less than great grades, they just know that maybe something it was not because I wasn't intelligent enough. It just believed so much in that intelligence. So if there was one thing I had like from childhood, it was that. So I was like, okay, so if I can be confident in this aspect of my life, I'm sure I can be confident in these other aspects of my life. So I tried to like make work good enough. And once like my work was great and I was sure that I was doing this work right, I think that helped to grow my confidence. Um, confidence in things like beauty or dressing the thing was the thing is in fact as a child I felt beautiful because my mom would always called me beautiful but as an adult you know you start to see magazines and you see that oh big tummy is not in fashion or or, or, or having a small butt is not in fashion or all these things and <laughs> I, I, I don't know how because I just decided that well I will choose what beauty meant to me and everything that I have would would pass the beauty check no matter what it is even when it changes tomorrow it will still pass the beauty check so I just I just did not make it my problem anymore if you think that I'm ugly that seems to be like a personal problem because you're having sleepless nights about my 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 physical I, I like that. And I think, you know, that's, I'm not having sleepless nights and that's fine by me. So I just made it a whoever's problem and it's not my problem. So I think I just learned from different confident people around me. And I just saw how it just, they, they seem happier. Like they seem less stressed. Because imagine stressing about your, just think of one part of the body or your hair is too short and you're stressing and you're stressing and nobody even cares like <laughs> I cannot remember the last time I had sleepless nights over someone someone else's look so why you know why should that be a problem I, just, I don't know how to like explain this to someone else but it's just not my problem so maybe that's where the confidence comes from so <laughs> maybe I'm too lazy to be worrying about things like that I'm sorry <laughs> It's efficient. It's good laziness. I know. <laughs> yeah, but um, I think yeah. I, would like, I would advise um, young people to work hard for themselves. Um, and even the word, the phrase work hard is even sketchy. Like do the work, not work hard. Like do the work that you can and leave the rest really. And just be conf confident in the one that you're able to do. You don't have to be the one doing, doing 
the Einstein work, whatever it is that you know how to do, be okay with it. I think contentment is a big part of it. Maybe, maybe I should say that. Yeah. And when you say contentment, do you mean like contentment in, do you mean contentment in, in what, what it is that are. you're doing or? Mm. Yeah. What it's, whatever it is that you are. And the skills you, you possess. Are, yeah. Yeah, and the skills you possess. They're okay. It's okay for you to be this person. You don't have to be a CEO. You can be a nine to fiver. You can be, do anything that you choose to do. I think it's okay. It's valid. It's not less than the other person. Mm. Yeah, because we all got we've all on different paths and different things that we enjoy and want to do. Yep. Um, and to become an investigative journalist, what three skills do you believe that somebody should have? Okay. Um to become an investigative journalist, I think number one, you have to have um, the eye to <clears throat> point out patterns. It's kind of like a, it's this test that we used to do when we were growing up. Um, what is it called now? I forget. But it's just having that eye to be able to point out where something is a pattern because with many things that we investigate there is always a pattern so it's just having that um quantitative analysis to be able to look at a set of look at data sets no matter what the data is just look at it and see and not force it to be a pattern because i've seen people do that they just force this thing so that they can see that they have done investigative practice. They just see, oh, there is A and there is B here. I'm going to force it to be A and then arrive at it with any other way. You have to be thorough. So you have to have that um, ability to point out patterns. I'm looking for a word. There's a better word to call it. I would find it. Um, but that's one. Number two is you have to be very thorough um, with the work that you do. Investigative journalism is not done in like two seconds it took us nine months to investigate sex work grades um even longer to put the whole thing together so um, obviously your project may not take up to nine months but you just need to be very confident in like dotting all the i's and crossing all the t's when the project dropped and a lot of uh, uh lawsuits uh claims were flying around i did not feel mm. any like I didn't feel any drop of fear because I was so confident in the research work that we did. In fact, I was excited about yeah. lawsuits because it just meant that we were going to come back, come out with even more evidence that we had that, that couldn't make it to the film and nail these guys, mm. you know, finally. So <laughs> that's how confident yeah. you need to be in your story. You shouldn't like have this fear that, oh, somebody's going to ask you this question and you're not able to answer. You should be able to answer any question whatsoever in, from your sleep, when they wake you up, what happened here? You should be able to answer. So yeah, that's it. You have to be thorough. You have to have like this skill for pointing out like um, patterns. And finally, you have to have the passion to uncover truth or to speak truth to power. And that passion mm. should be bigger than like your fear of any entity. And so you cannot, you because you can't choose who, you're investigating 
you just the facts choose mm. you you find facts that oh th- this might be happening and the person in charge is your brother or your auntie or whatever you have to follow that path unfortunately and you have to and it's only passion i think that can drive you to do a thing like that no matter where the facts yeah. find you you follow the facts you're not you know you don't have a preconceived bias and then make the facts follow you you're just like flowing with the wind of where facts are taking you to. So for example, we did not have any preconceived bias against University of Lagos. I personally did not attend that school, but the overwhelming number of evidence that we got led us there. And that's where we took our investigation. So, so that's it. Those are the three things. Well, and yeah, like you said, like I guess you didn't have that fear because you, would, you did the work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is good. So what is next for you, Kiki? Um, what is next for me is I just found this. And first of all, I have to say how glad I am to be able to just waltz through like industries. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I just found this new exciting thing called filmmaking. It's like just another way mm. to tell stories. Who knew? So <laughs> I'm quite <laughs> excited about that. I have written... I have produced and I have directed a couple of projects. Um, wow. Yeah, I'm trying my hands at it and they're getting better and better. And it's just, you know, getting even more delicious. The number of stories that you can actually tell. <laughs> so I definitely want to try my hands at feature filmmaking, you know, and even mm. more documentary filmmaking. And so that's what, I mean, I've already done like the projects and I, they would start to drop. But like, I want to do even bigger ones on bigger platforms. And I don't want to, you know, miss any step. I'm not afraid of being a short filmmaker until it becomes, until it's time for me to be a feature filmmaker. The same way I did not just become like Emmy nominated in one day. It took me, what, seven years? It's fine. I'll probably go through the next seven years trying my hands at different kinds of Mm -hmm. filmmaking until I get it right. So that's what's, the ex- that's my exciting new side thing or main thing. I don't know what is side and main anymore. <laughs> <laughs> is, that, this what motivated, is this what motivated going to Lagos Film Academy? Oh, yes. I mean, at the time I went to Lagos Film Academy, I was just trying my hands at different things because I also went to social media. Um, I tried my hands at digital marketing. You know, I did many of these other things none of them stuck mm. so the only reason you know i even put out lagos film make as uh, lagos film academy right now is because i'm going into film so i was like oh one time in the past i did this um <laughs> if i decide to be a digital marketer i'll probably go and sweep the cobwebs off the certificate that i got on digital marketing so yeah that's it. I did not know that I was going to go into film when I went to the academy. I was just trying to get certificates because I didn't have one. Oh, wow. And then you happen to actually like it. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I, oh, that's I amazing. quite enjoy it. Oh, wow. This has been an enriching discussion, Kiki, and quite inspiring. I'm mostly inspired by by your level of confidence and just how you're just you know willing to do what do whatever it is that you're going to do and do it well 
until you master it. So thank you for just opening that window for us and just being a, a source of inspiration and, you know, making women realize their, their voices are important. And what I'm also going to take away from this, especially is don't waste your time trying to prove yourself. You are who you are. So thank you so much for that. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much and for I'm, having me. And I'm sure people will learn plenty from this. Um, that is it for today. Thank you for joining us and hope that you have enjoyed hearing how creating a space for yourself is mostly never a straight road, but always something you can control. Don't forget to subscribe, like, and share us with your friends. If you're on Apple Podcast, leave us a review and join in on the conversation using the hashtag YourSpacePod. Also, feel free to email us at info at yourspaceafrica.com.